Hello, everyone. This is Tandem Coaching Academy Skipping Agile Non-Denominational Podcast. And today, our guest is Marsha Acker, and she is executive team coach. She is a facilitator. She's a COVID survivor, a mom, and all that good stuff. And we are your hosts, Sheree Silas and I, Alex Goodner. Hi, Marsha. Why don't you start with introducing yourself to our listeners? Uh, yeah. Um, so hi, Alex and Sheree. It's lovely to be here, Sue. Thanks. Um, <laughs> introducing myself. So I would say that I, um, I describe myself as a, an executive and team coach right now, um, but I come from a background of software engineering. So I often say like software engineering was my, was my first career, um, working with engineers and end users to sort of bridge the gap between requirements and development. So I spent quite a bit of time in that space. Um, today I coach executives and I work a lot with leadership teams and I'm, and I'm passionate about facilitation and coaching. So um, I've been doing this now for a number of years and also have a great deal of passion around agile coaching and what that competency looks like. So um, that's, a, uh, that's, I guess, like a high level. Um, Fantastic. That, yeah. that high level gives us a lot to chew on. <laughs> so um, we are going to build some bridges and bridge some mm -hmm. gaps, right? with facilitation real conversations. Yeah. So what is the role of real conversation in bridging those gaps? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, you, Alex, you picked up on a few minutes ago, like real, uh, there's something today for me about talking about real conversations. And I, I think what, um, what sits behind that for me is I've, I've had an opportunity to um, grow other facilitators to certainly have my own multi-year journey in facilitation. Uh, I can look back on my own journey of when I would say I, um, you know, early on in that process where I would be in front of a room holding space for a conversation, but I, I could point to moments where I made choices as a facilitator to like, oh, it feels like it's getting hot in here, or it feels like the, um, the conversation's getting a little bit heated, or there's some disagreement happening. And uh, early on, I would make choices to like manage that out of the room. So it would look like a good time for a break, <laughs> or let's go from full group conversation over to small groups. Um, and, so, you know, I can laugh about it now and I can tell you about it now. I wouldn't have had the words and I think the framework and the structure to tell you, you know, back then what I was doing. But I use as an example because I think there are many ways either, you know, playing in the role of facilitator or just simply being a team member in a conversation in a room, whether it's online or in, in a physical space when back when we used to do that, um, where I think we do sometimes a really good job at staying on the surface level. Like what are the safe things to talk about? Um, what are the things that, you know, make it still feel like it's okay or it's my, it's my role to offer this particular perspective, but it's not my role to say that, or this wouldn't be welcomed or somebody might think that I don't like them or that feels really difficult or, or rude. So I think we have lots of, stories in our head about why we do what we do when we come to a conversation. And so for me, I think there's so much potential um, 
underneath the surface when you can get to the real conversation. And I, and I don't think that's always easy. So I see facilitation as kind of bridging that gap. And as you're talking about that, what's coming up for me at a parallel to the coaching world is the coaching presence. Mm, being mm -hmm. in the moment, staying in the moment and have all these opportunities and possibilities to go into all these multiple directions and then picking one and making it important and yeah. bringing value to the room and to the customer. So how did you get where you are? Mm. How did you get to be this facilitator? Mm. <laughs> I, um, I, I love what you said just a moment ago about the you know, what you're hearing is coaching presence. Cause I would say the way I would describe that my model for facilitation, just my own personal model is it's highly informed by coaching. So I, I think the, the skills and competencies of coaching and facilitation, you know, blend really well. Where I started, so back in that first career, <laughs> um, working with developers on a development team, I, um, that was back in 94, was when I um, was trying, I was actually working with the Department of Defense and we were trying to uh, collect user requirements across all five services. So I was working for the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the objective was to you know, come, on, come to an agreement. If you've ever done any work with those five people, <laughs> with those five organizations, getting those organizations to come to any kind of consensus on anything um, is, is rather challenging. So I found, uh, I, was, I was fresh out of college at that time and I had a, a book called Joint Application Development. So this was well before we were talking about Agile, but it talked about facilitation. And so I found a class went off to training for five days and then stepped into the room the following week with 35 people and facilitated one of my first sessions around gathering requirements from end users. And that was really my first foray into facilitation. And I often say like that, that five days in that facilitation class changed fundamentally so much for me. So it changed how I looked at my own leadership. It changed how I interacted with friends. It changed how I interacted with you know, community work that I was doing, I just began to see, um, and at that point, I probably couldn't have told you that, but I, I began to see my own leadership as taking a very facilitative style. And so that was my first foray into it. And then I, I became quite passionate about it. So in, I started working um, in a development team, we were using extreme programming in 99, 2000. And uh, that was where I really began to see this um, vision come to life for me about how things like facilitation could really bridge into this world of agility. It wasn't quite formed and, and didn't have its sort of formal momentum at that moment, but I saw some of the things that were coming out of extreme programming as a way, kind of a facilitative process. Like we had cards on the table and we had developers gathered around talking about things. So. It just really, there was aspects about agility that really spoke to the idea of collaboration. Um, so fast forward a little bit, I came to the world of professional coaching, um, I guess it was around 2011 was when I first um, came into that space formally through training. So my, my own journey started very much in the world of facilitation for a number of years. And then coaching got woven into that as part of, part of that second half of my 
journey so far. <laughs> and so I hear you talking about coaching and about facilitation. I'm wondering what's the difference between mm. coaching a team and doing facilitation? Um, I, uh, so that's a question that I pondered for a number of years. So I, because I came from the world of facilitation and then I, um, my coach training was through um, CTI for the Coaches Training Institute. And after I completed that certification, I went off to ORSC. And I, mainly because I did a lot of work with teams, I wanted to, I wanted to do more of this team coaching thing <laughs> that I wanted to put more definition for myself around that. And I loved ORSC. ORSC informs still much of what I do today. There's so much so many of those principles that sit underneath what I do. And yet sitting in the courses, one of the things that I was really um, confounded by or confused by was, you know, what's the difference between facilitation and team coaching? Because in the coursework, for me, what I, what I saw was facilitation. And so I came out of, um, I came out of those courses and probably for about two and a half to three years, I sat with this kind of personal inquiry that I'd given myself around what, what is the difference between facilitation and team coaching? And I found that, you know, some of my team coaching practice early on had, had in a way kind of blended and made a mess of, of both of those skills. So I'd walk in and be working with a team and sometimes I would be coaching them and sometimes I would be facilitating. And I, what I would say today, for me, the difference between the two, if I were to bottom line it, is just to say, I think team facilitation is when you're working with a team to produce an outcome. You know, you've, they've got a retrospective that they want to do, or they've got a strategic plan that they're looking to create, and you're there to hold a process um, that gets them to that. And then I think there are moments, if you're also a trained coach and you're facilitating, you'll likely start to see dynamics in a team. Uh, you might be reading what's happening in the group. And then I think there's, a, there's an intentional conscious choice. And then have you designed <laughs> to also coach a team uh, or did you design just to facilitate? Um, I've got lessons learned on both of those accounts, but you know, what, do you, what did you contract for and what are you there to do and what's the purpose of it? Because I think team coaching is much more about helping a group um, be able to see their own dynamics and work with, uh, work with the dynamics in the team, the interpersonal relationships, uh, things that might sit under the surface, that uh, there's the surface conversation and then there's the, the conversation underneath it. So I, I hold team coaching as much more about working with how the team works and facilitation about helping a team reach that stated objective. And, it's, and, and for me, I, I think there's still some gray area in there, but drawing some distinctions. Yeah. I hear you talking about facilitation in the context of like being in a session, being in a meeting. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how you see the perspective of facilitating growth and learning over time and how, how that facilitation and coaching bring together to do that. Mm. You mean um, for a team over time? Like, yeah. Team or an organization or human. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that, you know, if, if I think about the, the very basic view of, or how I think about facilitation is it's, it's holding that process lens. 
and also being focused on a group, which is, which is very much like it would be for a coach coaching somebody individually or a coach coaching a team. And I, I do think that there's that process of, um, if you have the fortune of working with a team over a long period of time and you're not, you know, getting your team for six months and then moving on to the next one, which I know some people, uh, you know, end up in that particular situation. But I think if you're with a team, you know, long enough over time, there's a, there's a great gift in being able to watch a group and then also help a group see, you know, how they're moving along that develop that team development process and where they've come from and where they're at and where they're headed to. I think teams, I don't think any of us really do a great job of sort of stopping to celebrate those moments of, Hey, like, you know, six months ago we were here and now we're here. And, you know, even to have a facilitator that helps people just stop and take notice of that can be helpful. So something I picked on, and I absolutely love your definition of facilitation. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that we've been struggling with that. Uh, and I usually been talking about it as facilitator usually has an agenda to get a mm -hmm. team somewhere, right? So, and uh, you, you put it absolutely brilliantly is that the goal of facilitation is to produce outcome, mm. right? Whether in coaching, we do strive to produce outcome. However, it's, it's up to the coach to, de to design the road and our job is to be in a partnership, right? Yeah. So I, I, I want to pull on that and mm -hmm. um, kind of bring it back to agile world. So we have this agile coach and I have a feeling nobody knows what that is. <laughs> um, so, and we say agile coach, great agile coach has to have mm. all these skills and competencies and know all these things they need to do. So uh, in your mind for a holistic agile coach, uh, how important facilitation competencies are? Mm. <laughs> I, I think that, um... Well, one, so one thing that's resonating for me about what you just said is, you know, who, who knows what an agile coach is. I, um, I, I think there's, my sense is that there's many, many different definitions of that. And I, I tend to not get myself caught up in um, exactly what that looks like. I do get caught up in people defining for themselves what it means for them. So I think that this process for, for everybody, you'll, you'll hear me refer to, well, in my model for facilitation or in my model for team coaching, I think that is some of the work to do for any of us. So for agile coaches to be inspired or informed by all the things that they see, the definitions, um, but then to work to define like how, how does it, when they go to work with teams, what is the process that they use? Why do they do what they do? And to your question about facilitation, gosh, I think facilitation is just a fundamental leadership skill, at, at least in terms of the leadership that I think we take a stand for and agility of um, being able to, to foster collaboration in, in different ways. So I think it's a prominent skill for agile coaches, for leaders, I, for executive coaches. I think that it really sits as a foundation of being able to take a look at a group and how do you help them make sense of where they are? 
where what's happening in their conversation, where they where do they want to go? Do they still want to go the same place that they said they wanted to an hour ago? Um, so I, I think being able to take you know sometimes that meta view of where are we at and and the path can look a little windy. So I think facilitation is um, kind of a core competency. I also think it's really overlooked. So if you've ever been part, so I'm, I'm sure both of you have, right? Uh, you've likely been part of like a really well done meeting. And then I think we've all been part of the meetings that we would, we would like to exit sooner <laughs> rather than later. And I, it, you know, if you have an eye, if you have that eye for facilitation, then you'll know likely what was happening that made that meeting that was really amazing go that way. But if you don't necessarily have that eye for facilitation, I think a lot of times people just think, oh, it was, that was easy. <laughs> or, you know, it was just, a, it just happened that way, or it was magic in some way. And yet, you know, even like improv, um, it, yes, it happens organically, but there's some structure behind it. There's some, there's some principles that's underneath of that. And so I think sometimes facilitation gets overlooked by a lot because it's, it's in some ways it's not sexy, even in agile coaching. Like there's, there's no job that says agile team facilitator or, or very few. There's lots of jobs that say agile coaching or agile scrum master, um, uh, enterprise coach, but there, you know, you don't find a whole lot of job titles that refer to you as the agile team facilitator. So I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's not sexy. It's not the thing that you want to live into. And yet I, I think it's really critical. So it's interesting um, how you said that um, if you don't know what to look for, mm -hmm. you'll just see an awesome result. The team got something. They mm -hmm. achieved that outcome. So what's coming up for me is that facilitation, great facilitation, is invisible and impactful. Mm. I think so. And, 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 um, well, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, have you, well, like, what's your experience? Have you seen that or have you had an experience of that? I, I have observed a couple of great facilitators and, mm. well, unfortunately, I know what to look for. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> that was amazing. I need to do that. Yeah. And from the standpoint of somebody who is just like, yeah, that's just a person who attends our meeting. Right. They would be like, mm, yeah, that meeting didn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know when the facilitator's not good. And yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's really easy to identify. <laughs> yeah. I want to pull back a little bit. Something that you said uh, was very resonating with me that mm. uh, facilitation is about leadership. Mm. And um, I, I don't want to bring kind of framework, but it, it, it comes back to like Scrum and Scrum Masters and the role of Scrum Masters in the Agile world, right? And kind of to cite Scrum Guide, which is apparently not a good thing these days, is that Scrum Master facilitate teams events when asked or when needed, mm -hmm. right? And um, we talk a lot about Scrum Masters being the servant leadership, uh, servant leaders, Right, mm -hmm. which again, I think uh, is a lot, there's a lot of misunderstanding there. Mm. So um, how do Scrum Masters 
start on this road, not only becoming facilitators, but also becoming leaders and bringing this leadership to their teams. Mm. I think the, um, like, I, I guess I'd start answering that question by, you know, how do you become a facilitator? And I, one is just finding I think there's lots of paths to it, especially if you're if the certification world isn't your thing. Um, I think one of the best ways is to find somebody who you think does it really well and pair with them. I think co-facilitation is a great way to learn from somebody else and uh, to do it kind of in the moment. So I, I think there's principles that you can learn about facilitation. Um, I think looking at like understanding some of the basic uh, frameworks and how to look at your role, your process-oriented role with a group and learning to let go of the content side of it uh, and beginning to move, you know, remove yourself from that. And I think facilitation is a great step into that, you know, what I would call leading from behind where, where you do, which, you know, I think is another way at looking at servant leadership. I, I tend to not use that word a whole lot because it, I think it comes with a lot of baggage and it gets used for a lot of different things. But I, I do think it's really impactful when you've had the experience of being with a leader who you would say, you know, who you might describe as a servant leader, but somebody who's able to both step forward and step back. Um, and I think there's something about facilitation that teaches you some of those basic principles to maintain neutrality and hold the group's agenda and really be looking for the group's agenda and notice the difference between your agenda and the group's agenda. I have found a lot of times I will want something for a team and I, I see that it's possible for them <laughs> if they would only <laughs> just see what I see. And I, in, the, in, you know, in those moments where I can name, ah, so now, now I'm holding my agenda and not theirs. And how do I help them see that? so that they can make the choice about what they want to do next. And I, I think there's a lot about facilitation that um, really can create that pathway into experiencing, like finding your own version of what is your version of servant leadership look like? What's your model for leadership and what's your model for facilitation? And how does that show up when you walk into a room and create space for others? So I think, I think there's a lot to that. I, learn principles, you know, have definitely um, understand some playbooks, but I think that it's some of the best facilitation that you'll learn will come from the bumps and bruises you get along the way. As I hear you talk about facilitation, it sounds really like there's a, a coaching mindset, a coaching mm -hmm. approach that comes with that, that really makes it impactful. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think are some of the like the main competencies of coaching that mm. make facilitation more powerful? Mm. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, um, Alex, I think you named it earlier of presence, like how to, how to get connected to what's happening in the room, remove yourself from the equation. Um, powerful questions are invaluable. I think the ability, I think one of the things that powerful questions and the skills of listening that, are present in the coaching world. And I think the coaching world um, does a really good job of teaching those skills. 
and porting them over into the facilitation world is, I think, invaluable. So the ability to turn down, you know, the own story, your own stories in your own head and listen to what's happening, you know, for someone else, but also to to bring that curiosity and ask questions just like you would in a coaching conversation, but then applying it at a team level um, when you're facilitating. And to, and to really begin to distinguish between your agenda versus the group's agenda, I think powerful questions really help you um, kind of shift that perspective. Talk about um, meta view and coaching of, you know, being able to take a, take a bigger perspective or, of what's happening. Um, I think that serves really well in facilitation because a lot of times as a facilitator, the group's here and they've said at the end of this meeting, for the hour or the next three days, however long they're together, we want to get to this place where this is the outcome that we have. So, so always sort of holding that meta view, but then also being with the group as they wander along the path that, that brings them there. So I think, yeah, I think those are, I'm sure there's more that I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but. Yeah. And well, you mentioned your model of facilitation. A few times, and I'm waiting for you to tell me well, what is that model. <laughs> well, you know, my um, so it's it's mm, I, well. Here's what I would say about it. It's informed by a lot of my um, my learning lineage. So it started with a very process focused facilitation that still sits at the core. Um, uh, the facilitation stance for me. So that's actually what I wrote the book about. Uh, um, the art and science of facilitation is about sort of those five guiding principles. So those principles sit very much underneath of that. Uh, I would say my approach to facilitation is highly informed by coaching, um, maybe even more so than some pure facilitation models. I think the two for me are very blended. Um, and I, the other big piece, so ORSC uh, certainly makes up a portion of it. Uh, system thinking and being able to see, you know, a, a system. And I think the other big part for me is structural dynamics. So um, that's the work of David Cantor by being able to name like structural patterns that are um, emerging in a group and helping the group to see what's happening so that they can change the nature of the discourse that's happening in the conversation. So those, those are, I think, some of the big sort of theories that sit there. And then there's the, you know, what I would do in a room is often very much informed by some of those, those things. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like that. <laughs> it's got my mind spinning. So, <laughs> I can see. <laughs> yeah, and, and I hear you talking about structural dynamics and mm. I don't know that everyone knows what that is. So mm. would you have just like a quick maybe a little explanation or examples of what you might be seeing? Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a theory of face-to-face -face communication. It comes from David Cantor. Um, he uh, has the Cantor Institute up in Boston. And I think what I, like, the, like at the very fundamental part of it, I, what I'd say is it's a, it's a way of looking at um, the language that we use in conversation and being able to name the structure of it so that you can observe the patterns that are happening and then change the nature of the pattern. Uh, so if we all, you know, the, the structural dynamics talks about kind of four layers. 
to communication. Um, actions are a bit easier to see in the room. Uh, operating systems is a second level. Communication domains is the third. And then what sits underneath all of it is childhood story. And so when all of our conversation, everything that we say could be coded into, into each, each of those levels sort of has a thing. So I can make a move and close power and say, please stand up and, you know, put your pens down and move to the board. And I'm not asking for anybody's input. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm giving a directive. Uh, I could also make a move in open system and say, you know, here's what we're gonna do, what do you think? So what, what happens, like enough to get a sense of it, what happens in communication is that often when things are going well, uh, we're in flow and we often have range, uh, meaning we've got all, all parts of those structures. Uh, active and being voiced in a conversation. When conversations get stuck or they become unproductive or uh, back to Alex, what you were asking about earlier, maybe the conversation becomes less real. <laughs> uh, I think that often there's some of those structures that are missing, meaning that some are overdone and some are not used at all. And I think what structural dynamics helps me do at least is it used to be that I would go, uh, something is not going right in this room, but I, I can't put my fingers on it. Now I have a really accessible way of looking at it that takes actually the moral story out of it. So it's no longer about somebody's the naysayer or the devil's advocate or somebody's just being a pain and gives me a language to put it in and then go, ah, so here's what's happening and here's what's missing. And I think it's easily understandable for me, for the group. And that's ultimately what I want is for the group to be able to own that and do something with it so that they're actually not reliant on always having a facilitator or a coach in their conversations. So it's, it's a way of making the invisible more visible mm -hmm. so that you can get to those real conversations. You'll, you'll know it because the real conversations will often have a range, a uh, behavioral range in them. Mm -hmm. And in the spirit of full transparency, mm. my question, which I threw to Sheree, and that was a little bit of kind of, um, my question was uh, around, uh, so Sam Kainer was a Bible of facilitation for mm. quite some time. And my question was like, well, what will I find in your book? And yeah. you were just answering that. I'm like, great, great job, Marsha. Great job <laughs> answering the question that was not uh, asked. And <laughs> Apparently, there's a lot to learn um, mm. upon really fantastic Kainer's book, right? And it's yeah. just like what you wrote is really designed deeper for agile world and what you are observing there and how all these structures and all these frameworks can help agilists to be better at their communication. Uh, I want to pull back a little bit to coaching. Right, and uh, something you something you said uh, really resonated. That one of the best way to uh, start at facilitation, uh, maybe to co-facilitate, maybe mm. work with somebody else, right? And uh, in coaching, we know this practice. We know kind of the supervision practice, right? Yeah. Uh, where you bring uh, a qualified supervisor, so supervisor, and they can look at what you're doing and provide a kind of sort, sort, sort party assessment, not assessment, yeah. 
but a view and on what's Viewpoint, going yeah. on, right? Yep. Um, so uh, how does that resonate with maybe world of facilitation or maybe kind mm-hmm. of mix of your professional coaching skills and facilitation? What's your thought on that? I think, um, so I, there's a lot that I, <laughs> there's a lot I could say, I think, about the world of supervision. It definitely, you know, it comes out of coaching. And I think that even in the coaching world, it's informed by um, uh, the therapy world and, you know, those practices coming forward into the coaching space. I hold a viewpoint that I think supervision is so needed when we're in this space of working with other humans, because we too are human. Um, and I don't think there's any point that any of us will get to where it, I think we get better. I, I, I guess I speak for myself. I'm definitely better at understanding my own behavior, my own self, and how I impact what I do in a room and you know how that shows up. So I catch things sooner than I used to. Um, but I don't think I'll ever get to the space where I can't get hooked by something or uh, potentially be playing a role, even if I'm working with a, with a team or doing a facil- or, you know, an extended amount of facilitation over time where I might not get caught in some of the system traps and then actually be contributing to it rather than helping it for, for whatever reason, for, you know, I think that happens for a lot of reasons. So I think this process of supervision, um, I would love to see make its way into the agile space more. So whether it's for facilitation, whether it's in the individual um, coaching, agile coaching practice or agile team coaching, I think there's so much to having it. it is, and I think it's, um, it's, I think it's slightly different than having a co-facilitator, but it definitely comes from that same space of, there's another voice <laughs> next to you that sometimes when you see certain things, somebody else will see something different and to have somebody that's, that's, that's got a different model, that's got a different viewpoint of what's happening in the room, potentially has different language for it and can say, hey, like, I think this is what's playing out here. You know, it, where, you know, where might we be creating that or where might we not be supporting what they really need? So I think that that external perspective that can help you think about it in a different way is super helpful. Yeah, I know that in the Americas, we're just starting to hear a little <laughs> bit about supervision. Right? It's been yeah. big with our partners who are in, in the European area. And um, in fact, that's that's where I first learned about it from someone abroad. And you're right, it's, fa- it's fascinating, right? I yeah. can bring my work in a confidential position to another mm-hmm. person, another another coach or peer who can help me figure out what to do with that. And, yeah. you know, I agree. I think the agile space really needs this um, because we're, we're, we're fooling with people's lives. We're fooling yeah. with their organizations, right? And the work we do as agile coaches in this organizational perspective is extremely complex. Mm. And so to be able to have someone to bring that to and say, hey, would you talk through this with me and let's yeah. see what comes up. Um, so I, I agree there. And I'm wondering, how do you see um, supervision 
actually being brought into the outer space? Mm. That's a good question. <laughs> One of the I, answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If you've got ideas, I would love to hear them. I, you know, I, um, I, if I'm honest, I worry a little bit about it because I think that it, um, there's, there's a lot of things that I watch in the agile coaching space and I, and I don't think that they're bad or wrong. So that's not what I'm about to say, but you know, there's lots of places, the meetups that happen, um, you know, coaching circles where you can go practice coaching and, you know, practice with a colleague or a peer. And I think those are beautiful. Like, I don't want anybody to ever stop them. And I, I guess that, you know, to your question, I think one of the reasons that that resonates is because it's low cost, low entry, you know, it's not, it's not something that I have to pay for as an agile coach in addition to, you know, everything else that I'm paying for. And, and I know there's often some price sensitivity around, um, you know, getting support and help. And I guess if I think about supervision, much like I'd think about individual coaching, I, I think it comes with a, you know, with a fee and there aren't a whole lot of supervisors. I'm not sure there's a whole lot of supervisors even in the professional coaching world. Uh, and then I know you all are doing um, supervision with where you are. And so I think I'm yay. <laughs> I'm really excited about that. But I think the, um, you know, it, it takes skill and it takes, I think, a, a, the development of that kind of muscle and practice and knowing how to bring it and apply it. And so I guess if I had to articulate a vision, you know, I, my hope would be that it's accessible to a lot of people and that it's also not necessarily, I think it's one of those places where the entry to be able to do it, uh, maybe low entry, low point of entry isn't necessarily the best thing in that, in that regard. So, so yeah, I would love, I'm, I'm a big fan of rigor <laughs> and putting um, things in place that have, uh, some definition to them and also create containers where, yeah, there's, there's some, there's some real thought and ethics and, and rigor that's around it. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's so much um, impact that it could have. It's exactly what, what you say, Sheree. It's like, there, we're working in lots of complexity and I think it's easy to get lost and caught up in it. Yeah, and I, I think all of these these career paths, these disciplines, mm -hmm. right? Um, you've got facilitation, you've got coaching, you've got supervision, and done well by people who are skilled and educated. Yeah. They look like anybody can do this, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I just walk in and do it. Right. But the reality is, what makes it look so simple is the education and experience yeah. and competency, and that's what you're seeing. Absolutely. And it's interesting, Marsha, as you've been talking about fees, and I, I, I know conversation about money mm. is uncomfortable. <laughs> and as, as, as much as we are in this to change the world and all that, we're also to make money, right? And I, I think we need to be comfortable with this conversation. Yeah. However, as you've been talking about that, one word just kept popping up for me is its quality. Mm -hmm its competence, its quality. And that's, that's expensive, right? Yep. Something to be said about the entry barriers. And I, I fully agree with you. It's probably like 
if if as agile coaches we touch people's lives, mm. supervisors touch people lives who touch people lives. So yeah. they are impact. <laughs> it's a multiplication. <laughs> it, it's multiplied. So uh, yeah. with low quality, with people not particularly having the right competencies, that's yeah. probably not the right place for that. Alex, you, you made the comment, like it's, it's quality and it's expensive and I would add, and it's worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The multiplied um, growth can go mm -hmm. the other way and you can have the multiplied damage. Yeah. That's what we want to prevent. Yep. Absolutely. So Marsha, pulling back yeah. the book. Well, first yeah. of all, congratulations. Thank it you. Like everybody is writing the books these days and it <laughs> never never stops amazing me how dedicated and how hardworking those people have to be mm. to actually get it done. Mm. So first of all, congratulations on having that. And I'm definitely looking forward to reading that. So what's next for you? Book <laughs> is done. I know that you are on a speaking tour, uh, promoting yeah. and getting the word out. What's next in Marsha's world? Um, <clears throat> I don't quite know. I, I, I there, well, there's lots of things that will continue that are, that are already in flight, but I think that this question around what's next, I've been pondering quite a bit and, um, I don't, I don't quite have definition to it. There's another book coming. Um, so, so the way that this book got created, which has been in the works for years, uh, it, I think it started out with a scope of this and, uh, I was working with an editor um, a couple of years ago, and she said, you know what, <laughs> I think that you've got actually three books instead of just one. And she's like, what if you did this, this, and this, and chunked it up in that way? And um, it was a phenomenal suggestion, and that's, that's what got this book out the door now. So, so there's two others that are sort of sitting there, and I'm, I'm trying to decide, you know, when and, and how will that look? And they're not, they're not done by any means, but, but they're sort of, the sketch outline is there. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not exactly sure. There's, I think the other thing that I've, um, 2020 for me was a moment to step back and ponder. You, you know, I think when, when big change happens, so I, I can remember several moments in my life where I would say I felt like, you know, the rug was ripped out from underneath of me and something, you know, really different emerged. 2020 was definitely one of those places where I look at those now, whereas I used to, you know, bite my nails and go, oh my goodness. Uh, I look at those things that happen now and I go, what, you know, what's the opportunity here and what's the, what does this create space to do differently or think differently? Um, so I've really been in that space the last couple of months of, how could we shape and shift and change and rethink um, some of the principles that we've been talking about today, uh, I think really are there. So my, my focus is, uh, will sort of continue to be about how do, we, how do we grow sort of this collective leadership range and what does that look like and um, lots of ways to go about that. So something in that space. <laughs> And it's, it's obvious to me there's so much to learn from you and what you are doing. So uh, those are listeners who want to learn more. How do they get in touch? Where do they reach out? What do they do? 
Uh, well, if you want to learn about the book, it's, uh, you can go to theartandsciencefacilitation.com. Um, you can actually download the first chapter for free. Uh, so that's up there. And there's a self-assessment that you can take around facilitation skills. So that's one place to get started. Um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Marsha Acker, and uh, then we teach um, workshops uh, around facilitation and coaching at Team Catapult. So any of those will get you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, Marsha, thank you so much for spending this time uh, today with us. Uh, it was fascinating to learn more about the world of facilitation and how it interconnects and interweaves mm -hmm. with all the professional skills that we are working hard to bring into Agile world. So uh, thank you so much. And, thank you for uh, having me. And it's been a Tandem Coaching Academy Keeping Agile Non-Denominational Podcast. And we were uh, I, our ho uh, your hosts, Shori Silas and I, Alex Goodenough. Bye now.